20 Schemes is the church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland and Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. I'm Mez McConnell and this is the 20 Schemes podcast. So I'm here with my man, Doug Logan. Doug is the uh, co-director of um, Acts 29's Church in Hard Places. Also, do you have another title? Yeah, I'm vice president of collaboratives and diversity. Look at you. Director of diversity. So you're the diversity king. So what the heck is, t- tell me what, 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 what is diversity? Well, um, what, what diversity is when you have chocolate glazed and jelly donuts in the same box. Nice. <laughs> What's your favorite? <laughs> glazed. And, um, well, for us at X29, you know, we were largely a hipster, um, we were largely a hipster, predominantly white, um, coffee loving, coffee loving, skinny jean. Where I'm just somebody's gonna get mad at me. Bacon eating. I don't know about bacon, but yeah. So for the most part, it, the joy. Um, we always had a desire to um, bring more churches in from the urban poor, from regions where Islam, and also from the rural, rural places. And we started one of the first collaboratives we launched was Church in Our Places because we did want to diversify the network and get to places that we hadn't gotten to. Have you to. been surprised by how huge it's become, Church in Our Places? I, I in, tr- in a relatively short period of time, right? Yeah, I've not, this is gonna sound arrogant, but I promise you it's not. I'm not surprised because you and I both know yeah, yeah, yeah. when we go around, there is a great hunger for, for training and teaching in this context because there's a great vacuum and a great gap yeah, yeah. where nobody's, nobody's getting help, loved, supported, and trained there. And so when I think about 20 Schemes, the first time I came here back in 2016, man, it was like the hunger for it. I mean, this sparked in me, and you know you ended up in... You ended up in my house in Camden, New Jersey, and said, "Yeah, baby, watching the heavyweight championship of the world as well." Yeah, you said, "Doug, we got to do this. Yeah, we got to, we got to do it." And so, um, yeah, I, but so I want to say I'm not surprised. I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years. I've been doing it for 20 years, and now with the opportunity to yeah. take it, um, like we did, I mean, God was amazingly gracious to advance it and move it. But there was such a deep hunger. I just sort of thought. Um, Man, it was going to go crazy. McCann underestimates Steve Timmis is a guy who's helped push this for us, right? Oh, yeah, man. Timmis has, has, has been a, a major pusher and a driver of it. I mean, So was, props to the Silver Fox, the whatever silver camera fox. I'm looking at. Listen, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, I was reading something. Uh, I try and keep away from uh, American sort of evangelical politics right now because it's a real mess. But I was reading something, an article, and I can't remember who by um, a black brother who is basically his basic premise was if there's not ethnic diversity in your church you can't really call it a church now when I look at my congregation I think crap I'm screwed well I don't know who said it and don't mind I mean I'm, I'm a Bible boy I like to believe and so the Great Commission is a mission to all nations um, however um, my ghetto translation is, if the neighborhood looks like a pack of Skittles, then the church should look like a pack of Skittles. Yeah, and that's, and that's my position too. I remember we had a discussion with American guys came here a few years ago, Black Brothers as well, and they were like, wow, your church is really white and sort of not really diverse. I'm like, mm, well, you've just misjudged everything there because particularly in the UK, my church is extremely diverse. Yeah, it's just not racially diverse because it's not the breakup of my neighborhood. No, absolutely. I mean, and we've got to expand and understand diversity comprehensively and not just by um, face. And yeah, so once and we- skin color, right? Yeah, yeah once, we, once we do skin color only, we've lost. I mean, the breakdown for me in Camden was Latino, African-American, white, um, um, educated with doctorates, educated with no high school diploma, yeah. um, from former drug dealers to um, medical doctors I had at our church. And man, by God's grace, that's diverse. So we had, we had a, a full diverse, I mean, an African-American from the streets and an African-American from Harvard 
two of them together, that's diverse. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. Let me ask you a question, because I've been to Camden, man, and Camden is the Wild West, right? <laughs> certainly, certainly in terms of um, gun crime and, and stuff, it's, you know, I mean, the schemes aren't on a par in terms of that level of danger to, mm -hmm. obviously, they're, they're similar social circumstances, right? Absolutely. What's been your sort of, what's been the thing that's, you've observed most culturally just by being around in the UK? Well, that would that would maybe compare with Camden. Yeah, I think urban dwellers in the schemes and in on, on the block in Camden, they both adopted a culture of poverty and they've learned how to navigate it. Well, I mean, when we when you when I first was here with you, we went out there and the one guy says man, my family's been in the schemes for 100 years and he some he's surviving. Mm -hmm. He's making it. He loved you. And I mean, my thought in the hood is I got to get out of here. But yeah, yeah. It's the same here as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 but most, but in Camden, you got guys who can navigate through the crazy, the violent, the misery, the high concentration of poverty, and they've adjusted and adapted to make it and find even a form of happiness before yeah, yeah. Christ, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. and with and after. Um, in the hood, and it's just a crazy um, adaptation that I see universally. The, the conditions of the hood force people to to um, f pursue a level of happiness by adjusting their lives in some way, and that's why the gospel is so crazy. That's why it's crazy here, because once it hits, they've already navigated rough and tough, yeah, so yeah. it's no big deal when you, we'd say, yo, you need to repent and turn, you're a sinner. They're like, and you know, your life is a mess, but they don't walk away and think now they're supposed to go to the posh areas or to the suburbs. They're like, man, I can live here, trust in Jesus because it's all about a heart change because they haven't believed it's so awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've made it work. But tell me something, you've seen, so you've been with, you've been over to the UK, you've hung around with sort of more educated, middle class dudes and, and you've been up and, uh, and around us. Can you see a cultural difference? Because we would say, I mean, your issue in America right now is black issue, right? Black mm -hmm. and white. And uh, many whites don't see it as an non-issue or they're, 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 just, they're just not taking you seriously. Many whites are. Uh, but here, people don't take the class issue very seriously at all. They think that we're making it up, that there's, a, you know, that we're... Yeah, the class issue is very similar to to the race issue in America. Of course, we have a history of slavery. We have a history of African-Americans being three-fifths of a person. So we have a deep history of black and white. Yeah. So the black and white issue was bigger in America. However, here, um, there Which is- pretty much happened historically here. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a deep separation. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's, it comes down to dominant, dominant culture, um, poverty, yeah. people in poverty, you know, and the same, it almost flows like that in America also, but we have the, the extra dynamic of skin color yeah. as opposed. So, yeah, I just think that um, it has to be taken seriously. So what's happened is um, there's so much being spoken about because of social media. Anybody be, can become Dan Rathner on, t you know, because they have a Facebook Live. Anybody can now create their own 60 minutes on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. And so there's so much crying wolf, we begin to minimize the realities of the need for conversation and reconciliation. So it gets washed out because you got 700 people with a podcast now yeah. that are talking about it and often in reference to what it looks like for the church, they're talking about it wrong. And they're often talking over each other anyway, right? Yeah. and it's. And it's, it's, it's getting very, very messy. Um, but again, we speak in the pulpit, we speak as pastors with authority, um, as, 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 as leaders in Christ church. And we speak with, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we speak um, guided and, and empowered by, by Jesus through his word. And so when that topic becomes a sidebar topic and not answered in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. as church having understood the culture that we stand up against oppressors foreign and domestic. We stand up for 
the least, the last, and the lost. And the gospel is the answer, but that gospel permeates and penetrates every spectrum of sin. Now we become gospel agents, not let's be friends again agents, because we believe the gospel tears down the dividing wall. So let me ask you a question, because you, you married a white lady. I did. Angel, right? Yes. And um, how, how was that for you? Lovely. Early, no, I mean, obviously, but I mean, <laughs> did you have any, any pressure or kickback from your community or from the white community? I or? did. No, I absolutely did. I remember I was candidating at a Baptist church in Philadelphia. And um, or maybe it was Virginia. I candidated at a lot of churches. But I never forget one of the ladies at the church on the search team said um, that she would have a white woman as the first lady of this church over her dead body. Um, another woman said of my wife in Philadelphia, at a church in Philadelphia, um, she don't think I should be the pastor because she don't think a white woman could properly minister to a black child. Hmm. So yeah, so there was nasty statements and then, you know. So have you navigated all that? Man, listen, I, I'm just a regular old dude from the street. So, you know, I have to repent a lot because I can't choke people out. I can't punch them in the face. So I've got to, <laughs> he's smirking, if you could see it. And so what I have to do is I have to remind myself. You could go Old Testament on him. I could, yeah, then I'll go. Beat him with a jawbone or something. Yeah, if I go Old Testament, then I'll go new jail <laughs> on him. And um, so, yeah, man, so I've just had to learn how to um, look past, you know, um, you know, that Ephesians 6 piece, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principality. So I want to see the evil behind the people and try not to demonize those people and seek reconciliation, joy. And really, I learned and that drove me to a stronger level of discipleship, because clearly in both black and white churches, um, there's a missing of an all nations gospel and an all nations messiah. There's, that's missing in our hermeneutic and homiletic somehow. That's got lost because for her to say that goes against the Great Commission. For her to say that mm -hmm. goes against Revelation. For her to say that, it, it's what eschaton do you think you're going to be in? You know. So let me ask you, you got saved in 10th Pres, right? No, no, no. Talk no. me through it. Man, you, you I ended up in 10th Pres. I ended up at 10th. I got saved back in 1996. Um, I was at a Bible study, um, going through a tough emotional time. A crazy thug dude by the name of Jay took me to that Bible study and told me, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to hear this Bible and shut up. And I never met a thug Christian before. Oh, man. I loved it. And I didn't like it, but I couldn't beat him. And so, um, praise God for Jay. And, man, I came home and it was a dispensational joint. So they said the last trump is going to sound and then the planes were going to crash because the pilot would be a Christian and he would be raptured out. Nice. And so I lived next door to the fire department. Who wrote those books about that? What are those books? That's what I see. Left Behind. Remember yeah, you the Left Behind? Left Behind, yeah. yeah. Clarence Larkins back in the day. Dispensational truth. So I get home. I don't know nothing about that stuff, bro. I'm a barber. A slick talking barber. And so next thing you know, I live next to the fire department. Fire alarm went off and I thought it was the last Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so I ran out on my underwear looking for crash planes and crash cars. And um, two weeks before that, Sykes, his name is JJ Sykes, Jay said, Jay says, You're gonna marry that white girl. You don't think we know you're dating? You dating undercover. You're gonna have little mixed kids running around. You're gonna be a he told me I'm gonna be a Baptist preacher. And you're going to pastor a church with a bunch of mixed kind of people, Puerto Ricans, white folk, everything. I declare it. I pull it down in Jesus' name. It is, son, it is done. So it is. And I said, F you, man. I ain't no Christian. I ain't going to go to no stupid church. Two weeks later, I'm running out in my underwear looking for crash planes, saying, Jesus, don't come back before you save me. <laughs> and... um. So how did you get from there to 
temp press? Because who was the minister, Riken? Riken was there, Riken and Paul Tripp. So, so man, I built a relationship through Dr. Bill Crispin, who mentored me for a good season, OPC minister. And man, he introduced yeah, me. Yeah, so your mate was gutted. You were going to be a Baptist, but you became a Presbyterian, right? You know, I, I Maybe got, he pulled down the wrong promise. No, I got saved. I, I got saved. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get over the tenth. I was a Baptist for a long time, though. So I got. Um, You're still a Baptist, bro. Yeah, I'm a Baptist. Amen. I'm a Baptistarian. We welcome you back into the fold. <laughs> so I show up at. So I'm hanging around Dr. Crispin, and next thing you know, I meet <laughs> Marion Clark and Dr. Riken. <laughs> Man, and I just love those dudes. Those dudes are good. And, and Dr. Riken, Phil, oh, I call him Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil could read a book so fast, and when he would finish reading books, he would give them to me because he didn't add more to his library. He would just read it, say, here, Doug, it was a great book. I loved it. I sort of memorized it. I don't need it. And so I built my library from them, and then we just became good friends, hanging out with them. And so when I was pastoring in the hood there in Kensington, man, the church was eating my lunch. I needed some more time, some more preparation. And Dr. Eric Mason was like, come on and rock with us. And I was, that was my good, good friend. So we went over there, but I had no money. So I went to 10th, and 10th said, we're going to support you to go ahead and plant. We're going to partner with E. Mace to plant. So they said, just come bang with us on staff. So is it a majority white church 10th, or is it a mix? Yeah, it's, it's like a big pot of rice with a few raisins. <laughs> so, but this is an important question then. So how did they adapt culture to you and you to them. And, and tell you, let me cl clarify that, because I've met some black dudes out in the, in the States and they wear dicky bows and you wear a dicky bow. I you do. Know, you do sometimes. But these guys like very well spoken, super educated, but you're a street dude. Mm -hmm. So I'm just in my head, I'm trying to think of a street dude wandering in to Dr. <laughs> Phil's church, a little raisin amongst the rice. <laughs> how they took that and how you took to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, this is going to sound anticlimactic and corny. Man, Marion Clark is my dear, dear good friend, a guy I look up to as a pastor. Man, that dude just said, when I, was, when I called him after I was transitioning out of um, being an interim pastor, I said, Doc, I said, Dr. Clark, he's not a doctor, but I always call him that. I said, Dr. Clark, man, I need a spot, bro. What do you think I should do? He says, Doug, I've been thinking about this. You're just going to come with us, and we're going to help you plant a church. And I says, man, I can't come over there with y'all. I'm going to scare y'all. He says, are you going to preach the gospel? I said, yeah. He says, are you going to live and walk with Jesus? I said, yeah. He says, well, if anybody's scared of that, then they're crazy. They're not going to be scared. We love the gospel and we love people that walk with Jesus. So just come on, stop playing. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know. So I went home and said, Angel, I can't go to 10th. They think I'm nuts. And she was like, what did, what did, what, what did Bishop Marion say? And I said, he said, just come on. So he invited me to a meeting. I sat down with Phil Riken and the rest of the team. And they were like, yeah, we're going to do this. I was like, yeah, I know I'm crazy and a little, and I'm pretty black and a little crazy. And they were like, oh, we don't care about that. And you better, and, and I never forget one time Dr. Paul Tripp said to me, because I got up there and I was preaching hard. And I said, and see, imputation, do, 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 do. He grabbed me and said, if you get up there and preach some more of that Presbyterian jumbo, I'm not going to let you preach no more. He says, you better be who you are here. Do not say stuff here to make us happy. Say stuff to glorify Jesus and, and show people the gospel. Amen. And so, yeah. And so I remember um, one of the, um, Mary Clark said to me one day, Doug, did anybody to tell you to take your earrings out? I said, no. And he said, they better not. So they just embraced me weirdly, wildly, and crazy. But 10th, 10th rocks like that, man. 10th has banged hard to see. Pre am I preaching there soon? Am I? I'm preaching there in May. How funny is that? You know, they've got a window in their church built by some chick. What was her name? Tiffany. Tiffany. They said, so that I went there and he said, uh, we've got a look at this window. It's $1.5 million window built by, built by Tiffany. I thought Tiffany was some chick in the congregation. <laughs> right? But, man, nah. so I'm thinking, while they're not, while they're not looking, I might get a distraction, get that window out, raise a few quid. Do you know what I'm saying? We can do it. We can do it. I'll be down the bottom with a blanket. You just drop it. So they've got a good guy now called Liam. You know Liam, right? I do. He was, lived, we lived, we went to the same coffee shop almost I nearly every worked day. for him 20 years ago. Oh, did you? I nearly, but nearly did. I failed the job interview. You failed the drug back test. When he, back when he was Baptist as well. He was Baptist? Yeah, when he was born again. <laughs> Liam, Liam, we're all good, Liam.
keep that invitation open. He got the second open. blessing. He got yeah. the second blessing. <laughs> but uh, and I tell you, one of my all-time heroes, James Montgomery Boyce. Yes. And I read his stuff, and and I was early saved. Man, he's amazing. But I don't know. I I was gutted. I found out in about 2015 that he died. Like when did he die? Yeah, 2000. I mean, about 2000, yeah. yeah almost 19 years. So, yeah, here's me praising the Lord for a guy who's been dead 15 years. But you can still do that, right? Yeah, he, but he's an amazing guy. Yeah, he was a bridger in Philadelphia. See, when Dr. Boyce preached, man, um, he wasn't bragging about Reformed and Presbyterianism. He, he was just preaching that Bible hard. So as a, young, as a young Baptist preacher, we could go to Boyce's church. We could go to 10th at their evening service. So yeah. me and a couple guys would go over there, hear him preach, steal his sermons, and then just put some hot sauce on it and preach Amen. it back at the hood. Amen. So we just plagiarized for years his stuff. And I was recently, man, it was, um, and the preaching that pulpit is awesome. And recently they just did a revised of his, his systematic theology. Yeah. And I was blessed to endorse that with a few other people, Phil Reichen. Um, he wrote a cheeky little book called Whatever Happened to the Doctrines of Grace? Yes. That is cheeky. Yes. We like that one. Yes. Yeah, so. Whatever happened to the doctrines of grace by by James Montgomery Boyce, get it bought. It's good. And foundations. The, the, the yeah, new but foundations. just cut out the sort of <coughs> theology covenant stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the theology covenant <laughs> stuff. Um, so, listen, I went to your church. Your church was hilarious when I went to your church and preached. And uh, I remember people were jumping up and saying, Preach it, white boy. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we said white boy. We might have said preach boy or something like that. It was whatever it was. It was the great. It was brilliant. They were so like interactive and I loved it. And then you come, you come here. They're all in a coma, aren't they? How do you deal with that? Well, I preached at Tenth Presbyterian Church, so I'm very yeah. prepared. Is it very formal as well? Oh, it's very formal. There was one African American. I don't mind formal, by the way. I just. Hugely different cultures, aren't they? Right, right. Yeah, so at 10th, we had one guy, he's in heaven now, Phil, he's a deacon, and everybody called him Amen Phil, because he was the only guy that would say Amen. Amen. Amen, so they called him Amen Phil. But yeah, so I preached at 10th, and you know, a lot of X29 churches are pretty quiet in that, so I, I just... Now, your church is a buzz. I loved it, man. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, and you, as you came and preached... I mean, you just feed off it, right? You just I love I love it. Well, I was offended because everybody said he's he's got to be one of my he's got to be my favorite preacher pastor. Man. I almost put people in church discipline for saying. But that. I had that once. Mike McKinley came here and preached, right? Mm -hmm. He was all right, Mike. You're not that good. He got a round of applause. I mean, I, <laughs> I put the whole church on discipline after that. <laughs> that's that's how I felt about you. A round you. of applause in Scotland. That is like an Oscar. <laughs> that's how good that is. Usually you get nothing. As, exactly. But it's good. Um, thinking about, I mean, I don't want to really touch on these big issues of woke church and stuff like that. I know if that's going to get us into trouble. But I think, you know, there's a big issue going on right we can now. Edit. Go ahead and talk. Um, with woke. I was trying to explain to someone that when you use the woke, when you use the term woke here, we don't, we don't think of race. We tend to think of these fruitcakes, you know, six foot four blokes who want to change their name to Deirdre and, oh my. you know, self-identify as a pole dancer. Oh my, oh That's my. what we mean. Oh my. That's what we mean by woke, help right? Us, help but obviously, right in now. the States, it's very intrinsically tied up I into race. And I think there's parallels, again, between race and class. Yes. And I do, I do, I do personally have some issues with this whole intersectionality stuff. When I, I remember I preached at um, the Gospel and Class conference in London yes and I, I, I should have said listen class is not actually the concept of class is not a biblically defined term it's obviously sociological right sure. let's be clear about that but you can get away from ethnicities there was social hierarchy in the Bible that is clear and so I came in at it uh, from the perspective of favoritism Paul says there should be no favoritism in the church, and that, that's how I dealt with it. But it seems to be coming from a, well, it doesn't seem to be coming from one angle. You know, we've got black guys who I respect saying, you know, this whole woke church thing is nuts. I've got black guys I respect saying, um, actually, you're not listening to what we're saying. And then all around, you've got Fruit Loops just throwing, lobbing grenades in the middle. And 
I, I just yeah. And, and then when we go around the world and talk to black brothers in Africa or anywhere, they're just bemused by some of the statements that get said that you know if uh, that you know that uh, racism is intrinsic to the gospel. Now I understand nuance, but uh, it's not the gospel. There is one gospel, and then there are sins of classism, racism, blah blah blah, which I would which I would define under the whole biblical arc as favoritism, showing favoritism, showing okay. partiality, looking down on others. Okay. Would that be fair or unfair? No, that's that's fair. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the whole American thing because I don't understand the culture behind it. Well, here, let's just do simple. If the church has adopted philosophies of the world when it comes to the peoples in which they accept, um, in which they reach and allow even into their churches, then we have a class or a race problem in any country. Correct. And so the church in America ignored for many years um, through slavery, Jim Crow, they... I don't know what he, who is he? Was he just some sort of politician? <laughs> it's an idea of just a, 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 a post... Uh, post-slavery slavery. That's what I'll define it as, where the culture, where white, violent, vicious culture. Like the Ku Klux Klan did. Yes, Ku Klux Klan, Jim Crow South. And so from there... So just stop you there. So did somebody called Jim Crow invent it then? Who's Jim Crow? Who's this dude? Is he, was he some white dude? We're going to let you Google that after this. I'm going to Google it now. Keep talking. <laughs> so next thing you know, so what we, so what we would say is woke church... And in Dr. Mason's book, Woke Church, Lee Duncan writes the forward, um, and John Perkins, I think, is on it too. Of course, I endorsed it and love it, um, but Mason is a gospel boy. Mason is a, is a biblicist of the highest proportion. He's reformed, and the book is extremely gospel -centered. Oh, so it was Democrats who instituted enforced racial seg segregation in the 19th and 20th centuries. I'm fascinated. Yeah. I thought all the racists were Republicans. Well, the party can flip and flop from who, whatever stuff is. Anyway, I don't want to get into all That's the, a whole story. Yeah. But, Mez, as simple as this. Here's one of the quotes Mason says, and this will help, help me sum it up. The black church in America became a black church. Why? Because the white church was the white church. Yeah. If the white church was just the church then blacks would have went to church there. But we weren't allowed to go to church at white churches. Okay, yeah, and so that. therefore, when the black church forms, it's because they were not awake to the realities of a reality of Imago Day, And when it came to the gospel, then blacks were ruled out. And so now this black and white church formed because we are prohibited from going to church. So you would think for the Christians, after emancipation, when the phrase slaves were free, then the Christians should have said, finally, we're gonna worship with this revelation picture. No, they kept the, prohibit, the, the, the prohibition from blacks coming to the church. So is this like apartheid in South Africa? Is that what you're telling me? I don't wanna parallel it um, that closely. I just wanna say- but That was segregation, Yeah, right? yeah, that level of segregation. But it wasn't, but it, it but, Everybody in the country didn't segregate. There were some that did allow. Um, and I think about one of my heroes, Francis Grimke, who went to Princeton in the late 1700s, 1800s. Um, and he was accepted. He was a former slave that wound up going to Princeton, getting a PhD and pastoring in Washington, D.C. for you know almost 60 years. So that, let me just jump in, right? So I understand the history. Trust me, I understand the history of oppression. I'm Irish. Mm -hmm. Yes. I had a read a history book on Ireland being oppressed for a thousand years, but anyway, we won't get down that route. But um, I understand that historically. I, I'm not decrying or denying any of that. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not fully involved in it. But um, what's the end game? I, this is what I don't understand. What's the end game? Right, you've made a point. It's a good point. Sounds to me like it's a true point. It's very similar to the class elitist system in the UK where you only could be a pastor or a minister from a particular elite class Absolutely. until the laws changed. But Absolutely. then people just separated anyway. And 
Um, in, in fact, in, in our poor communities, there's not any churches left. Um, and so I can see those parallels, but what's the end game? I, I think, of course, the end game for us and for me as a pastor for Dr. Eric Mason is of greater gospel unity amongst churches so we can reach more people and see more converts. Because I hear guys talking about reparations and all sorts of whacked out stuff. See, I'm not this guy. I'm, I don't even want to go into all that. I'll say this. When 10th Presbyterian Church helped me plant a church, they received me as I was. Yeah, amen. And we worked together. They didn't make me become white, and I didn't make them become hood. Yeah. Um, they would never do worship like I do it, but they yeah. didn't tell me mine was evil. Yeah. They treated me as an equal, as a brother, and I wasn't a subservient to them. I was a brother, yeah. a teaching elder. And when I planted, they gave me money, prayer, support, and they still support, and they still stand with me. They support church in our places today, and their first paycheck came to me in 2008. Uh, and so therefore, that's what we're hoping for. When we can get more of that, when we can get more of what me and you do at church in our places, yeah, yeah. then you're not gonna say, well, Doug. But is it easier for me, because I'm a white European, and therefore, it's not intrinsically, if I was a white American from the deep south, for instance, would we have a different relationship? We would, and we would say, if we're both awakened, woke, Okay. to the realities of the gospel that makes us one, yeah. yes, we should. But if we're still sleeping in the area of race, then no, we're not. We're going to think that there's a separation that's not a separation, and we can't allow culture of something to create a separation. Um, and I'm, just, I'm just trying to understand. We plan at a church in a poor yeah, white neighborhood the, the, on purpose. Yeah, no, I understand that. So I'm just trying to understand what the game is, because I'm, I'm, I, I listen to some guys. I, I, I'll mute them now because they do my nutting. Um, onto a black guy saying, that's it, I'm done with the evangelical reform church, it's poison, it's blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, how is that in any way helpful to what you're saying here, which, we're look which you're looking for is, which sounds gospel to me, which is reconciliation, let's work together for the Great Commission and build gospel-centered churches. I've got, we've got guys saying, yeah, yeah, I'm out of it. Yeah, well, that's hostile. I know you've got white guys saying the same thing as well. Right, right. And I'm just well, looking around thinking, well, how helpful is that? Well, I, I think that there's a level of frustration. Like, I know. There's a, there's a high level of frustration. I want to reach, I want to be a part of a group of people, a network. And if I was a part of a denomination, a part of a denomination that cares as much about people who look like me that are unsaved mm -hmm. as cares as much about people who look like them that's unsaved. And so I don't want the urban context to be a sidebar, a corny little project. And I get that. Yeah, I don't. It's why we started 20 Schemes, Amen. Right? And, I'm sick of it. And that's why I started on the Block Collective. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we shouldn't be a sidebar. You started Raggedy School. Why? Because there was not a lot of schools addressing or raising up pastors None. to go to our communities. Yeah. And so why is that? So why when? So if that's... If those people are lost and broken, and we have a, we're bent and burdened in that way, and there's a large population of that across the world, why don't Reformed Evangelical Seminaries have built into their infrastructures teachers like that, programs like that, instructors like that? Why do we have to go make some sidebar? Yeah. That's the struggle. And so therefore, so when I go there, I've got to go, I've got to learn, I've got to speak fluent Caucasian, and then I've got to get back to the hood, and be the Rosetta Stone to tell people what I learned at these schools. How come we aren't gonna allow the seminaries, publishers, training to be that other than um, a random Yoda in you yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the side? Because why? Why doesn't evangelicalism have it as a fabric woven into the realities of gospel mission? Because it's a sidebar. But to be fair, seminaries, mm -hmm. And we all know my position on seminaries. But to be fair to them, um, it's not their job, is it? It's not their job. Can I tell you, I'll tell you, let me clarify what I mean by that. Is um, they're not, they're, we're not represented in seminaries and theological institutions in the UK because there's no Christians in our communities. Now, there's no Christians. There's no leaders. When there's no leaders, there's no one being sent there. And so in that sense, seminaries, particularly in the UK, are a reflection of the culture that they're serving, which is educated, elites largely, um, 
and uh, and so in that sense they can only they're only responding to the beast that they've got the real issue is at a local level local churches we need more churches we need churches to take responsibility in cities in areas like yours and mine that are underrepresented under-resourced underfunded and then once we we get that that's why we started ragged school because all of a sudden we find ourselves with 20 people who are new converts have got gifts and abilities and we're like we're not going to send them to this thing this institution that, that as you say they're yeah. going to have to learn a certain way talk a certain way be completely out with their culture uh, to come back in and so we built a ragged school out of the necessity of growth so I understand the fault lines with seminaries, but at one level, fund, at its core, I don't think it's their fault, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, I do. I just disagree. I, yeah. so, what, so if that's evangelical, yeah. and then we have to create something else, then we're not evangelical. That's evangelical. So if that's the bar, is the seminary caters to that demographic and that group, it's often not poor people in America, it's often not black people. Therefore, we're saying then... Does evangelical go across the board? Because that's not a biblical term. Does evangelical go across the board culturally? And is the structure of evangelical designed for all people? Or is it designed for a group of people? Because if it's designed for a group of people that don't look like me, then I, don't, I can leave evangelicalism because I'm not invited. So if the seminaries are bent that way, because the seminaries work in direct correlation with the publishers, the seminaries and the publishers work yeah, yeah, in direct company that. with the conferences, and all of them are bent, the resources, the seminaries, and the conferences yeah. aren't geared towards poor people. Yeah. And so me and you wind up inventing stuff um, on the side, and, and then, but are we in evangelical? Because if we were, then how come we aren't a part of the fabric and the lining of all of those things for great gospel impact as we do it as an all nations message, an all nations mission, an all nations family. We get a sidebar, and I'm done with the sidebar. Right, so, I like this, baby. <laughs> Should we get our tops off and wrestle? No, 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 okay. no, no, so, no, 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 you, I didn't take I my think, medication yet. I think they can be evangelical, and we can be evangelical. I don't see, I don't see it. I'm frustrated with the system, trust me, trust me. I'm frustrated with it. But I'm not going to say they're not evangelical. I think they're just products of the sort of almost the shrinking of evangelicalism in our country. It's happened with a certain, within a certain culture, and they're catering to that. And so we've started this thing. Now, interestingly, now we've started a thing. Everybody wants to be part of our thing now. And so for me, um, I think the best way that we are beginning to see and develop change. So listen. Six years ago, no one's talking about schemes. No one. No one in this country. No church is sitting, saying to their young people, go and do an internship in the schemes. Right, right. Go and da da in the schemes. Now, everybody's talking about schemes, largely negatively. Sure. But so what? It's on the, the landscape. We are beginning to slowly change the landscape. So I can't really change those institutions right now, but by the dint of our institution growing, they'll be forced to change and we'll come in that way. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. So I'm not going to attack whether they're evangelical or not, or whether I'm not. I'm evangelical. For me, evangelical is, I believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures, completely, totally, uh, the word of God. Simple as that. Evangelical in, in its basis form. They are, um, I wouldn't say they're in sin. Again, I think they're product, I think they're products of a system that is at root sinful. Okay, well, I, and I'm not calling them in sin. I'm just saying, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm not, not evangelical. Yeah, I'm not bound to evangelicalism. It's not something that's required of me from the scriptures. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm a Christian. I don't. I, I. don't think I need to be called evangelical. Evangelical is a. Is a structure. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's an i. It's an idea and an ideology. I can. I can be a Christian and not be an evangelical, and I can be a 100% godly pers Christian, and not. Can you be a Christian and be a Presbyterian. That's questionable. Okay. Yeah, and I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you can or you can't. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying the term here. It's helpful to delineate between a largely liberal sure. church that people just they say, it says the word church and Christian, and everybody's like, no one can differentiate. No. So from a theological perspective, I'm happy. I mean, I don't use that label. Mm -hmm. I always say Bible believing. Sure. Christian. Okay, mm -hmm. but I understand the cultural terminology. Um, 
uh, that, that, that you're talking about. Yeah, so even in the states for the election, it talked about evangelicals voting for Donald Trump, and it yeah. talked about their full support. Now, um, were they talking about me? Which evangelicals were they talking about? I voted for him. I'm sure you did. Your and, website was beautiful. <laughs> we're, go, we're going to jail. And um, yeah, and so so that label of evangelicals in, in the support and the weird yeah. stuff of I that. understand when you say the word evangelical. <laughs> when you say it, it's two different words. Yeah, you say, when, yeah, when I think of that, you know, uh, Benny Hinn and fruitcakes, right? <laughs> fruitcakes are us. I'm going to jail. <laughs> so yeah, but so I, I think that we need to have a real conversation. I would love to gather with a bunch of. I asked guys on Twitter and said, "Why don't you have a talk together?" And I got nothing. Let's get together, man. Dr. Eric Mason put out a thing. He says, "Man, let's let's figure this out. Let's call a council. Let's call a new Nicaea. Let's call it and figure it out and see what the Lord's going to do. See how He can unite us and bring us together." And then he said, "I think in the tweet he said, men and women of God," and it turned into. Well, we can't join with you because you're egalitarian. What? Because he said men and women of God. It turned so the whole idea went from let's get together to is that egalitarian? No, it's not egalitarian. Weirdo. No. But the whole track, the whole thread got hijacked because of that. And yes, I'm I would love to see a bunch of brilliant, beautiful minds. I think about I mean, um, Tim Keller, John Piper, those are brilliant, beautiful minds. I've benefited greatly from them. Um, I've recently spoke at City to City. Here's a question, Mike. How long have we got, John? Have we? We'll stop in a minute. I'm just, this is interesting to me. So, um, I was at T4G when they did the whole, you know, Martin, Martin Luther King thing. Martin Luther King is Gandhi thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes. I was sat, you were there. I sat next to two black guys. I won't name them, I won't embarrass them. I've read some MLK stuff, right? Yes. Not, not a lot, right? I'm not claiming to be MLK super fan. No. Seems to me, some of the things he said, he wasn't a Christian. Certainly didn't take the Bible literally, etc., etc. Now I asked some. Now I understand as a white man, probably people looking at it going, "Little white racist." Uh, but I talked to two black guys next to me and said, "Listen, what's the deal, bro? The, is the dude was the dude a Christian or not?" One guy said, "No." The other guy said, yeah, I think he was. And they're in like, and, then he, and I, just, I said, well, well if, you, if, you, if you two can't come to an agreement on it, as black brothers who both love the dude, both understand his works, how are white guys like us ever gonna come to a sense of yeah. understanding? Well, let me give you an example in that conversation. So when we challenge his, Martin Luther King, who I believe was a Christian, his soteriology and his theology. How come we don't, how come it's not met directly with a challenge of all the white schools that did not permit African Americans to attend? So if they wanted Martin Luther King's theology better, well then they should have took their unbiblical, demonic, racist, non-blacks allowed rules off because that is evil as not believing. But wasn't the dude Banging other women and that. Wasn't he like having a, a bit of a serial ladies boy? When he bang it's, at it, as we it's would been, say. It's been said that he has. But you don't agree? I have no evidence either way. I mean, again, I listened to a black guy who said one of the Listen, evidences. That's been, that's been widely said. And so for me, let's say whether he was or he wasn't is irrelevant to, to my point is that's not the fault of racist institutions if a guy is immoral. You can't, you can't go... Well, I, I, no. I believe that or did that because I wasn't allowed right, to go right. there. Right, and, right. And, and, and if that's the case, then we can run down every institution because many oh, white yeah. Americans owned slaves and sold slaves. Yeah, yeah. But, we, but when we get to Martin Luther King, we, 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 we grab those two pieces and then we ignore Charles Hodges' position on slavery. Edwards' position on slavery, owning and having slaves of reformers. Mm -hmm. And that's off the table because they were men of the dead. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I'm not agreeing one way or the other, but, but they don't afford that to King, Martin Luther King. No, but, but he got a free pass at that conference. A free pass at what conference? When we were at T4G. Yeah, and at T4G. There was no, there was no, well, 
he didn't believe this, he believed that. It was all like a... Because I was wondering what was going on at one point. I'm like, was there was no debate over it. They all seemed to agree, you know, he's a Christian, da 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 Sure, sure. That's it. And I'm like, but I'm listening to black guys who are around me sitting there going, that's not true. da 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 da, -da. And I'm like, wow, this is obviously a heated debate, even within the African-American community, right? Well, I, I, I don't want to say what you said was the African-American community. That was two dudes at T4G. Yeah. And so... Um, no, but they would, well, they claimed that this, of, of, of that course. this was a, 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 a hot topic in the African-American. Yeah, but by and large, within Acts 29 and within the circles I roll, um, we would believe Martin Luther King was a Christian. But by and large, we I'm would I'm not questioning whether he was or not, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know you're not. And, but within... But within the structure of the measurement of King's Christianity or not, his adultery or not, those measurements don't seem to work for white reformers who owned slaves and had moral failures. They don't seem to apply. But when it comes to King, they get whipped out. But when it comes to them, they were men of the day. At T4G, there was a book given out of 21, I think it was 21 reformers or something like that, of course. Um, there was not one African-American represented of 21 of the greatest reformers. Um, and of course, many of those guys were flawed and messed up. And the cover said, flawed, fruitful, and, and flawed, or something like that. So that was good anecdotal. And however, does King get afforded that in white reform circles? He does not. He does not. He doesn't. And so that's a, then we need to wake up then we're not holding the standard across the board for blacks and whites. We gotta hold the same standard, and we don't. And I'm sick of it, and there's a lot of people who are sick of it. Um, but I'm not sick of it in a social gospel way. I think when an African-American gets done dirty by a church with bad theology, that, that, that applies some whack non-gospel theology, the African-American shouldn't be the only one angry. My white brothers, you are more my brother than if I had a brother that wasn't a Christian. Mm -hmm. You are. You should be mad with me because we're family. I should, you should, it shouldn't say, he said something about a black guy. Doug is going to be upset. No, we should be upset. If a Christian disrespects me with an unbiblical position about my race and tries to do separation and, and segregation to me, you should be pissed as, I, as much as I am. Um, and I, but because, you know, I just don't want to be the angry black guy. I want to be the angry Christian against things that are done against being aligned with the gospel. That's why I love Paul. He confronted Peter and he says, you're not in step and in line with the gospel. And Paul should have been upset. And so I think when we're brothers, when we see a, misappro a misappropriation of the gospel, in the, particularly in the area of race, that there should be whites, blacks, and Latinos, and Asians all speaking up as brothers. And we should bring about gospel and theological clarity together. And then, so if I'm too sensitive as an African-American, then I'm counting on all those races of brothers of mine to correct me. I don't get off the hook because I'm black and we talk about something black that I get to be angry. No, I need to be pushed back and challenged by white people too. And then same with them. If a white person says, well, I'm sick of all this stuff, this getting to, I should be able to push back on him and not say, well, I can't say that because you know it's white and he's white. No, we're brothers. And when we start to dig in like brothers, we're gonna get past some you of this. Do you think a lot of whites are just zoning out of this conversation because they just don't wanna be accused of racism or do you think that's what's happening? Clearly, clearly that's- but A lot of guys in the middle are just thinking, Looking at the extremes and going, I'm, I'm keeping my head under the radar. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to think yeah. through. There's a lot of idols that got to be murdered. There's a lot of rethinking and understanding that we have to do. It's a lot of work. And, but it's worth it because, man, this is going to make us a better universal church. And it's going to help us. But it is very American-centric, this particular issue. Right it is. Now. Absolutely. And that's why it comes here when we go around and people are like, what? What you're talking about? I'm not saying it's not important. No, I know it's what just, you mean, but... It's it, culturally, and it's just like, I'm, I'm talking to guys over here, I'm like, why are you talking about it? I mean, you, I, I want, I'm just interested in understanding it. Um, we've got our own... <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we've got our own deep-seated yeah. sin structures uh, in place in yeah. our own country. I was here with you at the at the sheep's head, the sheep's head, and we talked about. Yeah. I mean, that was the first time I saw two white guys, an Englishman and a Scot, arguing about, you know, war and oppression. Yeah. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. yeah, we were there. I mean, we were in a we were in a pub that was older than America. <laughs> <laughs> we went from arguing about Donald Trump all the way to arguing about Bonnie Prince Charlie. You know, it was oh, man. it was an interesting as night. Because people will fight about history, right? <laughs> Amen. And so to see that, yes, and I couldn't engage. I, I mean, I literally said, two white guys arguing about oppression, oppression. That's new for me. I'm from the I'm from the hood. It's normally a black and a white guy. Arguing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll have to end now. But I, I mean, we had a guy over from Atlanta a few years back, and I, I mean, I asked a question. Said to the guy, he was t he, this guy was very vocal about you know, black oppression, black oppression, black oppression. And I'm like, I'm cool with that. I understand that. I appreciate it. But there's also huge millions of poor white guys, people, men and women in America who live in substandard conditions, who suffer from systemic oppression and an evil failing political system too but he seemed very reticent remember this he seemed very reticent to it. he said yeah but yeah but it's not the same as being black i'm like obviously it's not the same but they still suffer they still suffer from oppression but he didn't seem to want to engage yeah, with that i'm a pastor and a christian yeah all oppression should make us sad that's yeah. what makes us Amen. better pastors yeah. all the god we have a message that is an oppression tearing down, yoke breaking gospel. And Amen. that's why Joe Marlin, we planted a church, Epiphany Cross the City. He's a great big old burly white dude, loves Jesus. I met him, right? When yeah, I was yeah. There, yeah. And you know, and Joe goes to yeah. um, an impoverished community right next. You, I yeah. took you to the neighborhood when yeah, you were yeah. at my house. Like it's less than a mile from my house in Camden. And um, yeah, I mean, and it's Confederate flags. I mean, I've been called the N word there. Um, yeah, it's rugged. It's rugged. And, you know, Aryan Nation, gangs, all that type of stuff is over there. And Joe went over there and started a church, man. He was doing a thing called Theology on Tap at a bar. And, um, man, people started getting saved, bro. And he started preaching that gospel. And when they started talking all that crazy talk, like, man, you know, get out of here with that. You can't say that to that big old six foot something, 350 pound burly man. He'll beat you up. You talk that junk to him. So he was perfect for that community. Oh, and they've embraced him and they love him and the church is growing. People are getting saved. He's baptizing all the time, man. And I'm just, and I care about that poor community. And even in that poor community, it's right around a trailer park, high concentration of poverty in the midst of Confederate flags and all of that. Hmm. Man, he's at the trailer park. I mean, it's, and it's rugged. Like they found a decapitated body while they were doing kids clubs at the trailer park. So it's murder. It's, it's better than an Easter egg hunt though, right? How long we got, John? I'm just gonna end it there, I think. Is it? Right, I'm gonna end it there, my brother. Love you, Doug, man. Love you, bro. <laughs> this, is, this is how we should have the debate. With these conversations, we're trying to expose some of the issues we experience in our ministries. We hope that with honest and frank conversations, we can begin to open up on some of the hard realities of church planting and revitalization in schemes and council estates around the UK. In fact, even around the world. In this spirit, these conversations will be published completely uncut.